Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello movie truthers. Welcome to this week's bonus episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm Hannah Strong. And I'm Marshall Schaefer. On the show this week, we're reporting live from the Venice Film Festival, where we've been watching some of the most highly anticipated films of the year. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So we're recording live from the Venice Film Festival. If you can hear the sound of crashing waves and apparel spritzes being down, then that's because we are recording from a beautiful beach on the Lido. We hope not to be too unbearably smug as we give you a run through of some of the most exciting titles from the first half of the festival. Marshall, we've been Hannah and I have been enjoying uh, eating, sleeping, and watching films with you this year. But um, for those of our listeners who don't know who you are, who are you? Well, hello, Truth and Moviesers. Uh, yeah, I'm a New York-based uh, freelance journalist. I'm here covering for The Playlist, Slash Film, Decider, and Slant Magazine. Uh, I think I'm writing a total of 19 reviews over the course of the festival, so very little downtime between watching and writing, uh, but still uh, enjoying plenty of uh, great chats in our flat and uh, seeing the sights around Venice. Yeah, I would say anybody looking at us from the outside, this does not look like hard work as we hold up microphones on a beautiful sandy beach. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but Hannah, this is your first time as the, at the festival, seasoned critic, but first time to the Lido. What was it about this year that made you decide to come to Venice? Um, I'd already bagsied it within the office, like writer for, for the <laughs> film festival. Uh, no, I, um, I've always wanted to come to Venice, but because of coming to Cannes and Toronto normally... Um, it's just, you know, it's a bit of an ask really to do that many festivals in a year. So I decided this year I knew I wasn't going to be going to Toronto. So I asked, you know, can I go and do Venice at last? And I was just very fortunate that um, it's turned out to be quite a stacked lineup this year. I think that Cannes was maybe a little bit lower key than people were anticipating. Uh, things like Blonde didn't end up there. And of course, Netflix is still having their ongoing beef with Thierry <laughs> so uh, there's quite a lot of Netflix films here that um, couldn't go to Cannes basically so yeah I was just quite fortunate and I've been very taken aback by how laid out uh, how Venice is laid out compared to Cannes and how it feels much more chill and you have a lot more time to write between embargoes lifting so you're not kind of scrambling to be the first person with a tweet um, it's just yeah it's, it's a very nice festival atmosphere we've been very fortunate with the weather so far and yeah I'm, I'm a big fan already 
Well, I hope to find you back here in, a, in about a year's time. But it, I mean, it is just kind of very indulgent and gorgeous Venice. It's got an incredible old school glamour. It's actually the oldest film festival. Uh, thanks, Mussolini. Yeah. <laughs> it's like somewhat thrown off its kind of fascist origins to become something I think really wonderful. Yeah, but I mean, to the point of indulgence, uh, I was thinking back. So the three of us took a tour of the Ducal Palace on Tuesday uh, before the festival started. Uh, and our guide had a really interesting point about um, how Venice in particular built their entrances to the palace. Um, you know, most Italian entrances are just directly on the waterfront, but Venice, with their grandeur of this giant palatial building, uh, they put the entrance much, much further in to make you appreciate one how much space they have and how much uh, <laughs> how much space there's just roam around, and just taking in the the space, the grandeur, the design. I think that really comes through and trickles down even to the festival today, where, like Hannah was saying, we have so much more time to develop the the thoughts around the movies. We're not just rushing into the instant reactions or filing the the quick review oftentimes we're getting to sleep on a film before getting to write the review which is very very nice and not a pleasure you get at most other festivals and having conversations about films as well like i find that um sometimes at film festivals i kind of don't really want to spend too much time talking to other critics so i feel like it's gonna influence my opinion too much but actually like some of the conversations i've been having after films with my lovely housemates and <laughs> with other critics have actually really helped me kind of digest films and um work out some of the kinks and i think that's like a really nice thing to be able to do not you're not kind of forced to go and squirrel yourself away in a press lounge like straight away you've got time to kind of rehydrate and um have a sandwich if uh like me you get like quite low blood pressure and you know it's it's nice to be able to reflect like that and by hydrate hannah does mean with aperol spritz not with water <laughs> yes no mo most of our blood types are aperol spritz at this point <laughs> Uh, but yeah, now that you guys have had a little opportunity to digest um, some of the things that we've seen, I'm excited to talk to you about some of the highlights. Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
facts and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to the Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of our plans. Now on to the movies. So I suppose it only makes sense that we start at the very beginning. The opening night film, White Noise, The Return of Noah Baumbach, his third film with Netflix. Hannah, do you want to start? What did you think of White Noise? Yeah, this was definitely one of my most highly anticipated films of the festival. I'm a huge Adam Driver fan and, of course, Greta Gerwig's long-awaited return to acting as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I've got quite a history of Don DeLillo as well. He's a novelist I've kind of loved since my precocious university student days so I was very very excited for this although I kind of was hesitant as well because I think that maybe Don DeLillo and Noah Baumbach isn't really a a connection I would make I think that his uh, sorry Baumbach's realism kind of jars a little bit with this very stylized um, kind of uh, almost like a train of thought thing that Delir has going on in his books. There's a lot of like internal monologues, and that's something that I think is quite hard to translate sometimes. Um, but I was really, you know, excited to watch it and um, very much enjoyed his his take on this. I think it's him working with a lot more money <laughs> than we've ever seen before. <laughs> it's an expensive looking film, um, but it's weirdly. Um, I mean, anyone that knows about knows the normal white noise knows it's kind of about the fear of death and mortality. And I was actually surprised at how life affirming this film felt to me. It's you know, it's really about finding the one you love and kind of wanting to spend life and death together. And um, Noah is really good at casting and I think you know obviously Adam and Greta have worked talking about this with their old friends Uh, Adam and Greta have worked together before and they have such a great kind of rapport together on screen they're very believable as a couple and I just loved watching them and I have to like shout out Don Cheadle as well because like Mm. he's a supporting player here and he opens the film giving this incredible um, speech about car crashes in American culture with this like footage of car crashes in film and <laughs> immediately I was getting like big uh, crash vibes from that yeah but yeah I really enjoyed his I really enjoyed his supporting turn I was very entertained and yeah I mean because I wrote my review I'm kind of just like what can I say that I didn't say in my review you know uh, I, I will I will hand over to Marshall to, to say more about it <laughs> yeah Marshall I think this is really a film that lends itself to like so much discussion so much analysis so much kind of picking apart was it a great start to you for the festival yeah absolutely um, you know to Hannah's point about just the, the denseness of Don DeLillo I had read the book probably about 10 years ago I actually revisited some of my notes from my high school English class when I was writing my review uh, which was very helpful uh, shout out Mr. Lambert Um, But I I think it was... Well, so many people have commented that this this novel is unfilmable for years because of just how thick the the prose uh, of DeLillo is. And just some of these just really extensive paragraphs of... Nonsensical is the wrong word for it, but just kind of rambling postmodern observations about this kind of consumerist hellscape. And 
I think Bombach approached the challenge of that by ultimately just not really even trying to translate those things. I think it's a fool's errand. And frankly, I think that's where Cronenberg got a little bit tripped up in Cosmopolis. Um, he really just kind of focuses in on the part of the the novel to which he can relate, which is um, overeducated elites um, who are kind of uh, missing the point in their aloofness about uh, how vulnerable they are to the, the way of the world. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, also to Hannah's point, I was also taken by how sweet and sincere it was. I think you get a little bit of some of the, the Noah Baumbach uh, barbed dialogue that uh, really made his name in films like Kicking and Screaming and Mr. Jealousy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get a lot of the sweetness that, frankly, I think you can attribute to uh, his artistic partnership with Greta Gerwig. Uh, I think you really start to see a turn in his movies around Francis Haw whenever uh, they started collaborating much more closely. And, uh, yeah, I, Layla, I love what you had to say about the film and really interpreting it through the lens of marriage. And I think, I don't think that they are, I don't think they're formally partnered in that way, but I, I think you can definitely read a lot into it about the, the partnership that they share on and off screen and what that means and how, um, the contradictions of marriage do not nullify it, but um, you can find meaning from within them. Yeah, no, I, I, I do worry that I'm going to horrify a lot of people and my husband in in, in, find, in telling them that I've never seen my own marriage so well represented. Oh. But, um, Marsha, I want to move on to a film that I know that you really loved at the festival, and that is Athena. Heck yes. Yeah, I was not even uh, planning to see this until I got assigned to review it, uh, because it comes out on Netflix so soon, um, so keep an eye out, um, or... An or, ear out, an eye out, two, two eyes in it. Well, no, not necessarily. <laughs> well, I was thinking about how to phrase it. Um, it's most likely the kind of film that Netflix will not advertise directly at the top of your screen, so you might have to go search for it, but I promise it is worth uh, the look. Uh, this is a film by uh, French filmmaker Romain Gavras, um, who's made two um, kind of angry young men films uh, called Our Day Will Come and uh, The World Is Yours. Uh, this is a bit of a, a zag for him. Um, he's working with Lodge Lee, uh, the Academy Award-nominated filmmaker of Les Miserables, um, another sort of social unrest in uh, the Paris Banlieue story. Uh, and this is just an unbelievably accomplished feat of technical filmmaking um, it's uh, it's very much of the school of thought to where if you can do uh, any scene in one take, you should. It opens with one of the most jaw-dropping uh, oners uh, that runs over ten minutes long as uh, the unrest in a in a small French community starts to spill over uh, from the civilians to the cops. Uh, they sack the station, uh, steal a bunch of stuff, and then uh, take the cars back to the neighborhood. Uh, and only a few minutes in, we start to kind of realize, oh, wow, there really hasn't been a cut. How long is he going to keep this going? Mm-hmm. And the, the acrobatics of it are just phenomenal. It, it shows things and, and does motions with the camera that you, you forgot are possible. Um, it's really just something, and I don't think it's just a pure technical feat. It's also very interesting in the way in which it's grappling with the themes of... Um, police brutality and um, relationships between uh, authority and civilians as represented by the three brothers of a, uh, a young man who was killed by someone on video uh, that the police will not identify. Um, and each of them have a very different way of 
um, of responding to the event uh, and just this all-out urban warfare really reveals their character. The film doesn't feel the need to just kind of stop and explain it or give them a lot of expository dialogue uh, that would kind of clue you into who they are. It's really just kind of battle-worn wisdom, and it has truly one of the most explosive final scenes um, that I can really remember. I left having to pick my jaw up off the floor and cannot recommend this film enough. It's been the highlight of the festival for me, uh, even better because I wasn't even planning to see it. Uh, so, uh, but you know, speaking of riots, um, as somebody that got here on the six forty-five Vaporetto a couple of days ago, <laughs> I found myself surrounded by teenage girls, not quite sure what was going on, and then they stampeded towards the red carpet to wait for fourteen hours for Thim- Timothy Chalamet to show up for <laughs> Bones and All. Hannah, obviously, they were just show, they were just here to have a little glimpse at the guy. You actually got to see the film. <laughs> what did you think of uh, of Chalamet? Are you now, you know, are you going to be joining the, the 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 crowds next year to kind of get a glimpse of him in a red halter neck? <laughs> oh God, I'm too old for any of that. But um, I was always a uh, a shallow uh, Chalamet naysayer. Chalamet, I don't know. You know, Chalamet naysayer. Chalamet naysayer. Yeah, I. I mean, I like him well enough in Coin by Your Name, but he's yet to kind of like really, really impress me. Um, so I was interested in this. Uh, I love Luca Guadagnino more widely. I wasn't a Suspiria fan. Um, I don't think even he's a Suspiria fan. <laughs> I think he maybe, maybe admit that he made a few missteps. That, I don't know, or maybe he wouldn't. Uh, I know he wants to make a sequel, so <laughs> he already thinks he's got unfinished business. But... Um, no, so I was, you know, I, I never count a director out after one. So um, I was intrigued to see uh, how he translated this love story between two teenage cannibals with Timothy and uh, Taylor Russell, excuse me, who is an upcoming actress, uh, Canadian actress, I believe. And she is very good in a, a quite small role in uh, Trey Schultz's Waves, which I really like, but I know a lot of people have issues with. I liked it. <laughs> I also liked it. This is a safe space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I really like the novel that it's based on, which is uh, also called Bones and All. <laughs> the way I pronounce it in my accent, Bones and All, is, is doing it a disservice. <laughs> um, but I was really kind of, you know, I was going in wanting to like it, but um, ready to dislike it, if that makes sense, and was amazed, uh, very much to my surprise. I loved it, and I think it's probably my film of the festival so far. Um, I just really thought it was romantic and earnest and surprisingly gory, um, and it really just kind of, Chalamet's performance and Russell's performance, I think, are just so well attuned to each other and they really um understand these characters and they it feels like a world that is lived in and just lucas i kind of eye for detail and eye for production design it's just a really gorgeous looking film and i love the contrast between the kind of visceral disgust of flesh eating and the kind of this very very tender romance between these outsiders who feel like they are the only two people like them in the world and it's you know i can't hate anything that's kind of got a bit of badlands energy to it so um you know yeah i was i was a big fan of this one yeah i, I feel i can give this film no higher compliment that uh, just after it ended I, f- I i found marshall and then i jotted down in the back of my diary 
I added it to my top 10 of the year list immediately. And you can see the, the, the kind of tear stains, like blurring the ink on that page. But Hannah, one of the biggest surprises of the festival is that um, you weren't that big a fan of the Master Gardener. People will have seen your review online. Marshall, did, were you impressed by the new Schrader? Uh, yeah, and I should also note that uh, I also encountered the Timothy Chalamet stands. Uh, <laughs> they're flocking to the Lido for the public screening of Bones and All yesterday morning, me to miss my Master Gartner screening <laughs> and rearrange my schedule to fit it in this morning, uh, and I'm certainly glad that I did. Um, I was not the biggest fan of the card counter. Um, um, I know, much, <laughs> of, much of the dismay of many people, um, although I've kept that, that disdain a little bit more quiet, uh, and I really thought this was an excellent rebound for him. Um, I, you know... At this point, you kind of know the what you're getting with a late Paul Schrader film, the man alone in the room with his thoughts, the most dangerous thing in the world, etc., etc. <laughs> uh, but I think what makes this one a real cut above for me, um, and when I say cut above, that's only the card counter. I think uh, First Reformed will remain his masterpiece. Again, boo. <laughs> <laughs> What? I, no, what? no, I love First Reformed. I just can't be here for all of this card counter naysaying. <laughs> Sorry, Marshall, please continue. Um, but yeah, I think what sets this one apart for me is that it is, it's a slightly different look at the, the Paul Schrader character journey, where I think the, the sort of rebirth uh, that so often punctuates his films at the end is really the beginning of Master Gardener. Uh, you have the Joel Edgerton character, uh, who is formerly a neo-Nazi and basically becomes an informant who um, disrupts the group and then starts a new life as a gardener for a, a wealthy family. And it really, it, it posits the idea that a sort of spiritual rebirth is not a switch that you flip so much as it is a, a recurring process. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he's having to kind of go through these things again and again uh, becomes a, a form of, you know, eternally recurrent torture and punishment for him. I think the ways in which Edgerton has to really prostrate himself before other people uh, is very profound, and um, I will not compare this against anything else that might earn me another boo, <laughs> but I think Joel Edgerton is a very good uh, Schrader anti-hero. Uh, I think he has a very laconic uh, look about him and feel that uh, really communicates the, the sadness and the loneliness of uh, his character, um, I think, um, you know, if it, if it can be played as too cool, it can be a bit alluring. Mm -hmm. And I think here, uh, especially given the fact that he is a, uh, a former neo-Nazi who has not taken the time to remove all the tattoos, mm -hmm. uh, including one that says white power on it. Oh yeah, no, they're not. There's not a lot of subtext. <laughs> no, I, one does not usually come to Trader for subtext. No, I mean, that. but even uh, the, whoever that tattoo artist was, they really just were just uh, like, no, no, let's let's speak this plainly upon your flesh. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I thought Edgerton gave a just a masterful performance uh, as uh, the titular master gardener. Yeah, I mean, I, anyone that listens to this podcast regularly knows how hard I ride for Edgerton. But um, even if Hannah is going to be slightly more of a bit of a naysayer, I think that like it's going to 
at very least kind of prove that Edgerton has been brilliant all along and uh, I'm I glad that the that. culture <laughs> oh, I, I do think that he's good in that film I will fight he's good you. in my Master Garden <laughs> I, I mean I, I would struggle to name five other films he's in <laughs> oh my goodness I, I mean this is such ra- erasure of um, the Exodus Gods and Kingdom where <laughs> he had to be cast oh if you're pulling yeah. out no, I'm just saying you can't now. name a film Ridley Scott said that he couldn't cast Mohammed so and so because he needed the star power of Joel Edgerton. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, since then, oh no, loving Underground Railroad, fabulous, and it comes at night. Like I'm, I'm very glad for the rest of the culture to catch up with me when it comes to Joel Edgerton. <laughs> but um, let's talk about a smaller title now, Hannah. You saw Other People's Children, is that right? So this was um, Other People's Children by Rebecca Zoltowski, um, who is. A filmmaker I don't have a lot of familiarity with. Um, she made a film called An Easy Girl, which I think um, a lot of my friends kind of mentioned to me, and yeah. I just never watched yeah, it. Yeah, no, An Easy Girl is great. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, mm. there we go. You guys uh, know more than I do. Um, but no, I went into this because I love Virginia Effrey, and I will kind of... Uh, watch her do anything and I liked the premise so it's a film about a teacher who um, enters a new relationship and forms a very close bond with her new boyfriend's young daughter Layla who is four and she is very cute and so I was um, you know kind of interested to see it and was very taken with this film I think it's a really deft exploration of that relationship between um, parental figures who are, you know, not not the parent, but are close enough to a child to kind of love them and care for them, and you know, take them to their judo lessons, and still feel that acute distance um, that is inevitably there. And you know, the way that Rachel has to kind of move her whole life around for this relationship and this small child is um, really significant. But it's something she does like quite willingly, you know. She there's never any resentment involved, but it's such a difficult kind of situation to enter. And then you know she she's kind of questioning her own um, desire for children and kind of if she's going to be able to start a family. And I just thought it was a really kind of um, fertile ground for exploration that I don't think we often really get to see in cinema unless it's portrayed in kind of a um, you know, like a parent trap, evil stepmother mm. kind of way. So, yeah, I was I was very impressed. And if you love cute children, um, you know, being cute, then you, you're going to have a great time with this one because the little girl who plays Layla is, is adorable. She's so cute. Lots of adorable Laylas out there. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just saying. Uh, so one of the big things that coming into the festival, Marshall, was like that we were going to be here at the official start of the Brendanaissance. Brendan Fraser is back after... Uh, you know, he was not treated well. Some terrible things happened to him that well, we don't need to go... it's not like he went away. He just really did not occupy the same place in the culture that he did at the kind of the, the tail end of the 90s and the early 2000s, at kind of the, the peak of his mummy heyday. Mm-hmm. But uh, so he's back with Aronofsky, someone who I think has kind of very mixed will, uh, you <laughs> know, uh, coming into it. I fucking hated Mother. Um, some Some opinions may vary. But I think even if people didn't, necessarily get that excited for the new Aronofsky would you agree that everybody was super excited for the new Brendan Fraser 
Yes, I would definitely say that I think he was the the real highlight and not necessarily Aronofsky. Though certainly, um, you know, he's opened the Venice Film Festival before, I believe, with Black Swan, uh, is a regular here at the festival. And, um, you know, it's a very visceral um, filmmaker who's made a lot of movies that have made a lot of people get into movies. Uh, I think, you know, a, a new one of his films is always certainly an event. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hannah, like you were pretty kind of nervous coming into the well. I didn't, I didn't, I was quite surprised that when I kind of grabbed you on the water bus back to St. Mark's Square, that you were, you seemed to be someone that was going to defend this, which a film which I think inevitably is going to spark a discourse. Yeah, I um, was probably one of the people who was really, really dreading this film as someone who has quite a complicated relationship with eating and eating disorders and has been kind of overweight slash fat pretty much since I was like a small child um I was very very worried about this and kind of dreading the discourse it will inevitably spark and just thinking about like the way people react to fat characters and how the majority of fat characters in films are treated as a joke or something to be kind of um you know the disparaged or you know pathetic and and i think there is a little bit of that in the whale there's some elements of it that i really found quite uncomfortable um which i think is you're meant to but um yeah. you know i just think it's 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 a sensitive subject and not one that many people either have the capacity to talk about or have the capacity to talk about well so i was a little bit worried um but brendan fraser has been very open about his own kind of struggle with his weight and kind of um how he does look very very different now to how he did 20 nearly 30 years ago when mm-hmm. he was kind of this gorgeous young thing who you know george of the jungle yeah, he's still gorgeous how he's, dare you he I, arrived I on the name. vaporetta he av- arrived on the lido today wearing a fabulous straw hat and a gorgeous suit still would i i would just like to indicate that that was not mean besmirching brendan's current appearance it's just that he looks different to how he did then and you know time will do that to a man but um he also you know kind of had to grapple with being sexually assaulted and then being kind of shunned by hollywood so the guy has had a lot of kind of you know he's had he's been through it he's had his hardships and so i was excited for him to kind of get a good role he could really sink his teeth into because it does feel like I've really wanted someone to kind of take that chance on him. And I think Aronofsky, although I'm not the biggest fan of his, he does give actors roles that they really can challenge themselves with. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence talked a lot about it with Mother. Mother's not a film that I like either. i <laughs> very, very, very much not a fan of that film. But um, I think he challenges actors. And that is usually a good thing <laughs> in my book um but yeah no i was i was surprised by this film i actually think it does the topic um justice i think it's surprisingly empathetic for a darren aronofsky film i don't think mm-hmm. he's a particularly sensitive filmmaker um and brendan is great i think he has this real kind of like um optimism about him i think as a person off screen and then i think that kind of translates into something on screen there's this like this vulnerability that i think um really works for this character and although i think that maybe the the script kind of wants you to find him a bit pathetic or you know um kind of well i mean it's called the whale i think it wants you to kind of find him a little bit monstrous i think the fact it has this you know real kind of um 
powerhouse actor who's kind of you know we we have the context of what Brendan Fraser has kind of been through I think that really kind of means that he's able to harness um all of that into this like performance that I think is really strong um I mean not to make this an entirely giant Brendan Fraser love fest but Marshall like I mean Aronofsky previously I suppose the comparison is what he did with Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler Mm -hmm. which is to a degree was not sustained for very long in terms of renaissances do you you have higher hopes for the Brendanaissance I mean I would hope so um I will say not to kind of throw some cold water on this. I think Brendan Fraser does give a very good performance in the film, um, but I think he's somewhat held back by just how much Aronofsky wants you to kind of meet him more than in the middle by supplying your own fond feelings of Brendan Fraser to the character. I think the character that Mickey Rourke plays, uh, Randy the Ram, in... The wrestler is a little bit more fully fleshed out, has a little bit more of a, a chance to explain himself, to, to detail his feelings, to show um, both kind of his, him at his glory and him at, his, uh, at the, the, the pit in which we find him, where I think uh, the whale is more or less just kind of like the pit um, and really very, very little else. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think it, it does limit the extent to which... Frazier can really uh, flex his acting chops. Yeah, I, I, I just kind of... It, it's very difficult when you have such goodwill towards an actor that, mm-hmm. like, I want him to get every golden statuette, but almost like I didn't even need to feel, see the film in order to, like, have this feeling right, I'm and that's, for that guy so that's hard. kind of what I feel to some extent is, like, it, it, it is so dependent on you trading on positive will that somewhere in that void between person and persona... Mm-hmm. I just kind of felt the ways in which I was being manipulated and started to resist it a little bit. Oh, fair enough. Um, Hannah, let's finish up with another smaller title that you saw. Um, what was Blue Jean all about? Yeah, Blue Jean is this film by Georgia Oakley, who is a British filmmaker who has done a few shorts before, and this is her feature debut, and it's set during... Um, the kind of zenith of Maggie Thatcher's uh, Britain. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's about um, this PE teacher called Jean, who is played by Rosie McEwen, and she is a closeted lesbian who has quite a difficult um, relationship, not only with her sexuality, but with her family, uh, who do not know that she's gay. Um, and it's, it's really just a kind of... Um, quiet quite intimate film about a woman who is caught between wanting to be herself and wanting to kind of do this job that she really loves whilst we have the backdrop of section 28 coming in which obviously um was about quote unquote um banning the promotion of homosexuality in schools and and i didn't realize that it was kind of in force until um the early 2000s so it's quite a long time that if you were gay and worked in a school you you know you you were done for kind of there was a real um hate campaign against uh, gay people and you know portraying them as predators so there's a little bit of that in this film um in that we have this new student who has started at uh, the school where Jean teaches and she's getting bullied and called a lesbian and Jean has to kind of um, choose whether or not to you know kind of put herself on the line or just kind of turn a blind eye to it and 
it's you really feel for her it's a very kind of complicated situation and i just like that the film feels very sympathetic to her situation without kind of you know fully agreeing with with the decisions she makes and mm. the kind of things she says and things she does um and it's a really yeah a very impressive debut from georgia oakley it looks gorgeous it's really you get all these different shades of blue as the title would suggest and it just you get that kind of sense of the isolation and the kind of um the idea of hiding yourself and hiding parts of yourself away and i was just yeah i was i was very impressed i don't want to hype it too much because i feel like sometimes with british filmmakers we can really like um set them up for a fall by you know just totally overhyping their films and then um you know kind of they come out and people don't really like them as much as the festival crowd yeah, that does feel like a bit of a kind of uh, slight digger after sun but <laughs> <laughs> i can possibly say um but yeah no it's a very impressive debut and i think will resonate with a lot of people and has a really good soundtrack as well we've got some um uh new order in there which you know I was very happy about and yeah it's it's just re- very a very good very um apt film at the moment I think for British culture as well you know all the kind of transphobia rise we've got in the UK I think it's good to be reminded of just how damaging it is not only for like queer people but for everyone that surrounds them when we get to this level of refusing to have conversations about this with kids and you know kind of let them know it's okay to be gay it's okay to be trans and you know it, it, I, I just found it a really deft handling of a subject that you don't always see explored with that kind of nuance Oh, wow. I mean, that's a wonderful note to uh, to end things on. Some very exciting films that are coming up. But uh, before we go, I'd just like to ask you, we've got a few more days of the festival left. Uh, what are you most looking forward to? Hannah, do you want to start? Yeah, I think my number one hype title is um, Blonde by Andrew Dominic. Obviously, the uh, Marilyn Monroe Fantasia on Marilyn themes, as I am calling it. It is not a biopic. <laughs> it is a fiction and I think the sooner people realise it's not a biopic the happier they will be because it is exhausting watching people write about this film before they've even seen it I just think it's you know come on uh, I love Andrew Dominic I think his filmmaking is great Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford is a masterpiece and yeah he's always just so he's good value yeah. <laughs> I think he's Andrew Dominic both on and off, off screen and yeah Anna Diamas goddess can't wait to see her both on the screen and on the Lido wearing I'm sure it would be gorgeous gowns great gowns yeah. so yeah that's mine maybe yeah maybe 6.45 you and I are going to be storming off uh, the earliest water bus in order to to capture that but yeah I agree with you I have a lot of faith in Andrew Dominic uh, I've loved all of his films and I love that he like Paul Schrader doesn't give a fuck if you like him or not um but Marshall what about you what is your most anticipated that's coming up in the next few days I'm weirdly very excited for a title that I think is flying a little bit under the radar called Dream and Wild uh, it's a film by Bill Pollard who's normally a producer um, but maybe known to some film fans for directing the film Love and Mercy a sort of uh, anti-biopic about Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys uh, kind of splitting his life and bifurcating it between um, the very early days uh, in which he's making pet sounds and then a later incarnation in which um, he's under the tutelage of a very uh, abusive doctor 
Uh, this time is another uh, musician uh, film. It's about the Everly Brothers. Um, and I really know very little about it, and I'm just very excited and hope that it is uh, something a little bit uh, more innovative in this uh, very tried and often very trite genre. And Walton Goggins. Yes. It's got, it's got Walter. It's got a great cast. I know I've shot We won't. We won't talk about the lead. We'll just talk about Walton Goggins. Yeah, Walter Goggins, Noah Jupe, and um, Jack Dylan Grazer. Great, great. Uh, Noah Jupe and Jack Dylan Grazer, who will one day run the industry. Oh, God, I hope so. That is a future that I can really believe in. Um, yeah, no, I'm very excited to see both of those films. Um, I, I, I have high hopes for both, and um, I have got high hopes for the rest of the festival. It's been fucking amazing so far. I mean, it, it really has been such a stacked lineup, and, and very few disappointments from my perspective. So if you've got thoughts on these films, you can email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, there'll be your regular podcast programming covering crimes of the future, both sides of the blade and street trash. Street trash! (laughs) As well as another special bonus episode about the second half of the festival. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were Hannah Strong and Marshall Schaefer. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.